Hello, and welcome to the Hope Brooklyn Weekly Sermon Podcast. Hope Brooklyn is a community of faith in Brooklyn, New York, that believes wherever you are on your spiritual journey, there's room at the table. Thanks for listening, and enjoy this week's sermon. As General mentioned, we have just in the, we're in the midst of Lent season, our first Sunday of the Lent season, and um, we are starting a new sermon series, um, and I'm really excited about this one um, because it's something that I think is always lingering in our hearts and our minds, but I just want to be able to bring it to the forefront for us. Um, and it's very simple. I'm, if you've been with us for a while now, you know I'm not the most creative of titles. So if any writers or poets that are here um, and you want to help out in your free time, let me know. Um, but our sermon series is learning to follow Jesus. Um, very simple, um, very plain, um, but straightforward. And we're going to be journeying through the next few weeks leading up to Easter. And so if you don't, um, if you're kind of, if Easter's like a far distance away, um, we, we practice this Lent season to prepare our hearts and to spiritually be ready to come for the celebration of Easter. Um, Easter is not just simply a time we just come because it's a big church holiday or the church calendar day, um, but it's really building up to the story and the life of Jesus about his death and resurrection. And so it's, it's a little bit challenging to celebrate the resurrection of something when we don't spend time lamenting and mourning in the death of it first. And so um, we started off Ash Wednesday, as Janelle mentioned, it was our first Ash Wednesday service as a church. Um, this is the first time as Hope Brooklyn we're really going in together on Lent season. Um, it was kind of like in the past, like, y'all just do your own thing and then we'll see you at Easter. Um, but we have these beautiful Lent guides created. Um, we have the prayer room available. And so as a church, um, I want to be able to move towards a celebration of the resurrection together. But I don't want to skip the phases of the life of Jesus that leads to the resurrection. And so I um, just want to invite you into that. And so today, um, I'm going to be talking about, in terms of following, learning to follow Jesus, living a life of pursuit and what that looks like um, and what we could imagine it to be. Um, and a lot of this begins with an invitation, the invitation of Jesus. And a lot of times we look at that invitation, but we don't really respond to it. We observe it from a distance, we take it in, we learn about the invitation, we study the invitation, but some of us, the challenging part is taking the step of accepting the invitation and living into that invitation. And so we're going to talk about what that looks like, that following Jesus is not just about the first step in, but it's, about, it's a journey, it's a process. It's, it's, a, it's a lifelong growing period of learning to imitate Jesus and to be like Jesus. And so with that, if you don't mind, um, if I could just quickly pray for our message today. Heavenly Father, we thank you as we enter into the season of Lent um, for some of us who may be fasting um, and some of us who may be just observing through the devotionals or the prayer room. Um, God, I pray that you may continue to speak to us during this season. Speak to us and just um, unwrap and unravel the things in our hearts um, that have been stealing the affection from you. God, may our hearts continually um, move towards you continually to grow in stronger, stronger desire for your grace and your love and a deeper appreciation for your sacrifice. Father, be with us in our time today. Be with us in the word. Uh, may it be your spirit speaking directly to our hearts. May we just breathe in um, just your presence. May we be able to just have your word and truth tangible to us today. So be with us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Um, so we're going we're to start off in Matthew 4, 18 to 22. Um, and if you've been in the church, this might be a very popular passage for some of you, but this is the, the calling out of the first disciples for Jesus. Um, 
And so Matthew 4, 18, 22 says, As Jesus was walking beside the Sea of Galilee, he saw two brothers, Simon called Peter and his brother Andrew. They were casting a net into the lake, for they were fishermen. And these three words, come, follow me, Jesus said, and I'll send you out to fish for people. At once they left their nets and followed him. Going on from there, he saw two other brothers, James, son of Zebedee, and his brother John. They were in a boat with their father, Zebedee, preparing their nets. Jesus called them. And immediately they left the boat and their father and followed him. And look at that. And I'm like, man, that's so simple, right? Jesus had it so easy. Sometimes when we try to convince people to do something with us, it's just a whole journey of explanations, of trying to have a pitch. But Jesus simply just said these words, come follow me. And they dropped everything and they left their life. And so to kind of understand this context a little bit about discipleship and following Jesus. And for us, when we hear the word discipleship, I think we, we each could give a different definition of it. Um, whether it's from past experiences at church um, or churches, how discipleship was packaged, how it was presented, how it was taught and received. It has various forms. Some of us might have positive connections to it. Some of us might have negative connotations to it. Some of us, maybe we walked away from the church because the form of discipleship that was offered to us of what it looked like to follow Jesus. And in confession, I think a lot of times as leaders and pastors, when we, when we present discipleship, it's more about following the church than following Jesus. And so it, it's a tension that I'm also constantly balancing. Because the reality is, when the words here, Jesus says, come follow me, and in the church today, my desire isn't that you come follow Hope Brooklyn or follow me, but if anything, is to follow Hope Brooklyn and to follow me as we imitate and follow Jesus. Follow us in the example of how we follow Jesus and I follow Jesus. But you're, the discipleship, and this is where we get it twisted, and we don't even realize how ingrained it's been in the core of our hearts, that discipleship so often is about the church and what the church does for us. But none of that existed here when Jesus called them out of the fishing boats, said, come follow me. And this was not a foreign concept or an or a unfamiliar idea of discipleship of this term, come follow me, because in Jewish traditions, they had the rabbi, which literally means like the teacher, the master, and a disciple. And there's a, you don't have to, it's a, it's a longer read. Some of you might be interested, I don't know. Um, but there, somebody wrote a art, little bit of a study, an article, a paper on kind of discipleship throughout the Old Testament and New Testament and Jewish traditions and what we see of the word being used in various places. But Martino Grassin says that, Jesus lived in a deeply religious culture that highly valued biblical understanding. I just want to pause there for a second because that is so familiar to our city context, right? We, 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 we desire intelligence, we desire truth, we desire, we desire knowledge, right? They, they deeply, it's a highly biblical understanding. Rabbis were expected not only to have a vast knowledge about the Bible, but to show their exemplary lives how to live by the scriptures. A disciple's goal was to gain the rabbi's knowledge, but even more importantly, to become like him in character. See, the discipleship, even in the, in the Jewish tradition, the culture, wasn't simply there to sit and absorb knowledge, but it was to be an imitation. It was to become like them in character. And this, this idea of discipleship wasn't just unique to Jesus, 
In the Jewish traditions in the New Testament, when, some, when a rabbi called somebody out to be a disciple, the intention was, you're going to live with me 24 hours. You're going, we're going we're gonna, to we're gonna feast together, share meals together. We're going to spend, you know, the, all, the entire day together through teachings, through examples. It was an invitation into the rabbi's life. And as Jesus calls the disciples out, he says, as he says come follow me, it's to not just say, hey, come and absorb my words and my truth and my teachings, but to become like me. See, discipleship is the art of imitation. And today, oftentimes, as followers of Jesus, and I kind of put that in quotations, followers of Jesus, which can be a very loose term, um, you know, I, I, I'm not judging anyone, but I have friends that, you know, if you were to ask them, are you a follower of Jesus? Like, yes. Like, oh, what community, what church are you part of? Oh, I go once a year on Easter. I'm like, awesome. Um, not, not to judge their character, not that you can't be a follower of Jesus if you only show up on Easter, but for them, the, the loose connection is if I just kind of pay my dues every now and then, I'm a follower of Jesus. And we've also kind of taken back and watered down the culture of what, what the calling means, come follow me. We think it's just, this is the summary of it. Gathering in a place like this on a Sunday, listening to a teaching, singing songs. But it's so much more. Jesus, when he calls out these disciples, he's not just saying, spend a couple of hours a week with me. But no, he's saying, come live a life daily with me. A physical journey to come follow me. And it's important to also recognize that we, you know, um, David Platt, a, you know, he's, he's, a, he's a pastor, a writer. Um, he says something very interesting in one of his books. Um, it talks about how a lot of times we focus on the follow. But what if we began off the me? Who is Jesus and who, and who is he asking to follow? Once we recognize the character of Jesus and the authority of Jesus, the following actually doesn't become so hard. Because when we recognize Jesus as all these things that we sang about, right, how can we say it is well in our souls when everything in our life is in turmoil? When everything's in chaos and disturbance, how can we say it is well? Because, well, if we truly do believe Jesus is who he says he is, he's the Prince of Peace. He's the great counselor. We believe he is the one that can calm all the storms. We believe that when Jesus teaches throughout the New Testament, he doesn't just heal, but he doesn't, have the, he doesn't simply just present the physical healings, but immediately following says, your sins are forgiven. He has the authority to lift failures and sins and evil and brokenness and to restore. When we look at Jesus, when the part when he says, me, come follow me, he is the Messiah. He is proclaiming and presenting himself as the one that has been awaited for so long, the king of kings. The king that all these, this, all these Jewish people have waited for, the tribes of Israel, they've been demanding a king after king and just had uh, just brokenness and shattered nations and failures after king after king. Then Jesus saying, no, I'm the true king of kings. I have arrived. When we realize Jesus is the healer of healers, that when he preaches and teaches, almost immediately following in the gospels is acts of healing. See, that Jesus the one who knows us to our bones, to our souls, to our every point of failure and brokenness and still says, I love you. And this is that my life is yours. That me. So if someone of that stature comes to say, follow me. The following doesn't become so challenging. I mean, if we, if we think about it today in our culture, we are just, we're following someone all day, every day. I mean, just look at our, our social medias. 
right? There's a culture of influencers. There's a culture, you can find every little topic on the internet now. Every little solution to a problem. Every professional, every you know, genius, every great mind is now open and presented for the world to receive, if we're just willing. And so the world is constantly saying, and the people, the voices around us are saying, follow me. And it's not a bad thing because, man, having a baby for the first time, I'm like, I need to follow anyone and everyone. You know, people are like, oh, I don't want to give, you know, advice that if you're not asking for, I'm like, no, no, we want all the advice. <laughs> Even if we're not asking for it, just tell us. Okay, we'll filter everything out later on. But we're just like, we're trying to figure things out. And so it's such, such a nice convenience that there's so many people to follow and to learn from. And even in our, within ourselves, if we had the opportunity to follow someone 24 hours for a month, to learn from, to sit under, who would it be? Who are the professionals in our fields and careers that we feel like will elevate our success? Who are the people that hold all the wisdom and the keys that we're just so hungry to learn from? Who are the examples in our life that model character and humility? You know, so often we also become jaded by the act of following others because we've maybe kind of, we've, we've committed to somebody, we committed to a person or an idea, and at the end of the day, all of that kind of comes out empty. So many times I followed leaders up front, all the charisma, all the wisdom, and then I would experience a moment of just emotional outburst of verbal abuse, and I go, whoa, I did not expect that. I did not sign up for that, right? Up, up on stage and meetings, man, all the, it feels like all the pieces are there of humility and character. And then in the private spaces, just the belligerent talk and conversations. Get disillusioned by it, get disenchanted by it. And over time, what I found out was that as I follow certain leaders, one character trait that has been very prominent is kindness and gentleness. Those that are leaders for some, for some reason have this kind of weird, unattracted charisma. And so in our minds, and our hearts, we have someone that we want to follow. We have an idea that we want to follow. We have an idea that we want to pursue. And here as Jesus is walking along the Sea of Galilee, he is doing ve something very subversive. Because these, these fishermen, these brothers, Simon, Andrew, James, John, I don't think they would have ever been invited into a space where a rabbi would have said, come learn under me. They had their professions. They had their careers. They had their life trajectory set up. These weren't the, 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 the best and the brightest that Jesus was pursuing. Jesus wasn't entering to the temple courts of all the most prestigious temples and religious leaders. He walked along the Sea of Galilee and called fishermen, called people who are the least, least likely to change the world, and called them out to say, come follow me. It's a sign that Jesus wanted to bring the gospel of the kingdom, of the good news of salvation, of restoration, of healing, not through the best and the brightest, but the people who were just willing to say, yes, I will follow you. They left everything behind. They cast their nets into the lake for their fishermen. Jesus said, come follow me. And at once, they left their nets and followed him. Maybe some of us were there at some point. 
we heard this brilliant, amazing gospel news at the right moment when we needed to hear it. And we're like, I'll leave everything behind to follow Jesus. But over time, things get jaded, things get twisted, and we like, we, this is, we need to make more sense of this. And over the years, instead of following Jesus, what we've done is we just created a, a beautiful dossier of all the knowledge that we have about Jesus. Kind of like how the Pharisees held all the religious truths and laws. They knew all the commandments and they upheld all the commandments. Over 600 of them. They were the greatest teachers, minds, scriptures, but Jesus didn't call the rabbis to follow him. There was something subversive about him calling out these fishermen. I said, come follow me. And they immediately left everything, everything behind, their careers, their families. They left their father in the boat. There was no, who are you again? Remind me what you did. Because up until this point, there's been preaching, teaching, and miracles happening. So here's Jesus coming, and when he says this term, come follow me, there's something about him that these brothers were gravitated towards. And was it a perfected type of discipleship? No. If anything, their form of discipleship was marked with failure after failure after failure. But Jesus chose them. He called them. Some of us, we have difficulty of follow, difficulties of following Jesus because maybe some things don't make sense. And now I'm not saying to just blindly follow Jesus, right? Sit with the gospel that's been presented to us. But some of us have been sitting around with that for so long and never made a decision to follow him. Because the reality is if we choose to follow Jesus, our entire life gets reoriented. It's an uprooting that happens. It is a completely different shape and molding of our lives. See, in Matthew 16, 24 to 26, he kind of digs deeper into this calling of come follow me. Jesus said to his disciples, whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves and take up their cross and follow me. For whoever wants to save their life will lose it, but whoever loses their life for me will find it. What good will it be for someone to gain the whole world yet forfeit their soul? Or what can anyone give in exchange for their soul? Jesus is presenting this challenging cost of following him. Maybe some of us sit on the other end where we don't weigh the cost enough. We've heard this lukewarm, watered-down, kind of powerless faith. And like that seems pretty reasonable. It's not going to disrupt my life too much. Committing to Jesus... I just need to make a couple of tweaks in my life, and then it's, that's it. Maybe some of us are not ready for this wave to come over us. Maybe some of us haven't sat with the, 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 the weight and the gravity of what happens when the presence of Jesus enters into our life. Maybe we look at the scriptures and we say, well, the people that encounter Jesus in the scriptures, that's, that's, the, that's the extreme. That, that's the extreme end of what happens. No, that's what's supposed to happen when we come encounter with Jesus. Tim Keller, um, in, in a sermon many, many years ago, um, talked about how the gospel presented in different cultures and settings is something to observe. 
when we listen to a sermon preached in a culture in a church, whether in, the, in our country or another country, where the majority of the poor are living in low income, who are poor, the gospel is pretty simple. They talk about power and resurrection over and over again. Power and resurrection, power and resurrection, the power of the gospel. But for, for cultures that seem a little more comfortable, we have this tendency to just kind of filter out those pieces because we believe that we can hold the power for change and transformation. And I, I've, been in, I've been in both settings. I've been in settings where uh, an ethnic culture, Korean minorities, where most of their professions and jobs don't have lucrative positions. And they're sitting there listening to this, this gospel message that they're, they're, the, the power doesn't come from the things of this world or our finances or our status or our position or how well we know the language, but it comes through the power of Jesus, of healing, transformation, joy, and hope. But oftentimes in our culture, when we feel like we have some level of comfort, of success, we can manifest our own hope. We can recreate the things that Jesus says that only he can give. We can recreate the joy in, in, in pieces, in fragments, in shadows. But we feel like if we have enough of a social community or social circle, my happiness and joy can be found in there. That our, our, our love and our hope can be found in other areas of our lives that we recreate. And so when Jesus makes his call to say, no, to follow me means to deny all of that. It means to deny yourself and the power of yourself and ourself and the identity that we hold, that we've built up, is challenging. We want to follow Jesus, but sometimes we want to hold on to those pieces of our identity because we work so hard for it. We work so hard to get to where we are. Francis Chan says, you often find the things that you let go of while following Jesus were the things that were going to destroy you in the end. So many times the things that calls us to follow leads us to roads of empty promises and disappointments. How many times have we heard promises of success? How many times have we heard promises of joy and happiness? If we just achieve this, then you'll be content. You won't need anything else. If you just reach this level of social status, if you have this one type of friend or significant other, all your needs will be met. If you find this type of church, your faith will just skyrocket. But oftentimes, these things that we choose to follow these different affections apart from Jesus ends up leading us into a place of deep disappointment and brokenness. I've been in places so often just feeling shattered and lost. After showing up and receiving promises that if you're just present, all these things will come to you. And how sometimes the gospel gets twisted in that way. If you just follow Jesus... Health, wealth, and prosperity will be, 
I'm like, where was the health and prosperity for his disciples? When Jesus said, come follow me, he wasn't like, hey, you're only fishermen now. I'm going to take you to the next level. I'm going to triple your salary. Your house is going to get larger. You're going to be more famous, more popular. If anything, Jesus constantly tempers their expectations. Says, no, no, no. The world's going to hate you. You, you will be killed for my name. You will suffer for being followers of me. And even in the resurrection, when Jesus comes back in the book of Acts, all the disciples are like, when will it be our time? You are back. This kingdom is ours. All this oppressive rule is going to be gone. We're going to be in charge. And Jesus is like, oh, man, you're going to be so disappointed. Because that's not what he gives. Even in the miracles that his followers performed in the book of Acts, gold and silver I do not have. They really didn't have it. He says, but in the name of Jesus, be healed. That's what they had to offer. See, in the lifelong pursuit of following Jesus, there's this tremendous power that is imparted to us. Not just power to heal, but to, be, to have joy and hope in the midst of a culture that is constantly just terrifying in a world that seems so shattered and broken that we get to be the voice of healing and restoration. Tim Keller, once again, says that discipleship is not just a matter of bending your will to Jesus' will. It's melting your heart into a whole new shape. A lot of times we figure discipleship is, if I just get these two pieces correct, I figured out the puzzle. I figured out the, the formula, the paradigm, the, the methodology. And this is something that churches and leaders have been trying to figure out for so long. How can we perfect discipleship? And I say this, like, that's important too. Thinking through pathways of discipleship is important. I'm, I've gone to two different cities this past few months to literally study and read paradigms and charts and diagrams of discipleship. But discipleship is not about just figuring out one or two pieces of our life. I think how it talks about it's the reshaping and the melting of our heart. It's a new identity that God is placing as he's talking about in Matthew 16. It's denying our identity and taking up the identity of Jesus. Discipleship is the art of imitation. To follow Jesus is to live a lifelong journey of wanting to become like him in character of growing in, like, growing in likeness with him. That's what discipleship is. To follow Jesus means our lives become completely reoriented. And I'll say, following Jesus is a costly thing. But it's been one of the most, most valuable and joyous journeys that I've ever been on. Following Jesus leads you, will lead you down paths and roads where you're going to be in conflict with yourself. So many times that I, I feel my spirit and my flesh, as they talk in Scripture, in conflict with one another. I, I feel the conflict of my anger and in God's forgiveness. I'm in conflict with my, 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 my jealousy and greed that I'll do anything I can to achieve that. If I have to manipulate situations, if I, I, I feel that contention, if I need to lie my way through it to just to be there, and then I feel the contention of saying, God, 
God telling him just to be meek and humble. It's tough. It's tough when the culture tells us that we need to fight and be known and be recognized and be center stage. And Jesus says, take on my humility. The imitation of Jesus looking at him and saying, well, he wasn't born in a giant palace or mansion. It's looking at Jesus and saying, even calculating the cost of who we spend our time with. Imitating Jesus is to imitate the people that he was surrounded with. The widows, the orphans, the scandalized. Who do we spend our time with? Who do we invite to our dinner tables? Who do we take time out of our days and our busy schedules to carve out an hour for? Following Jesus is costly because it's always going to be confliction with our flesh and personal desires. But the beauty of it is that when Jesus says, come follow me, it's not that we're forcing ourselves into his likeness. It's that as we sit at his feet, we just begin to absorb more of his grace and his presence. I'm not where I am today because I've worked hard in my character. Have I done things like therapy, counseling, you know, different tools, relational building things? Yeah. But ultimately, the transformation that's happened in my life is because even in the moments of my failure, I'm just staying close to Jesus. How does our days look like? Is Jesus a part-time following? Or is he our goal and our treasure on a daily basis? I'm going to invite the... Um, communion ushers and our worship team. Some of us, we've had this invitation kind of just sitting alongside us for many, many months, years, days. Maybe we're just trying to collect enough stories to feel ready. But the, the truth is, and this, is, this might be a hard truth, we're never going to be ready to fully follow Jesus. It's just one of those things that if we believe the me portion of who Jesus says he is, that he's the good shepherd, that he is our savior, he is the Messiah, he is the healer, he is our peace, we just follow. It's easy to follow someone when we trust them. The following comes second nature when we get to look at somebody like Jesus. And be like, let me be an imitation of you. And for me, that's going to be my lifelong journey. Am I going to get it right all the time? Absolutely not. I almost stumbled 10 times waiting online at Walgreens right now <laughs> before the service started. There's always some sort of drama happening over there. <laughs> I'm going to stumble. I'm going to fall. I'm going to fumble this so many times. I'm going to chicken out. When Jesus says go, I'm going to be like, I really don't want to. When Jesus is going to ask me to surrender, I'm going to be like, oh, can I just hold on to this for a little bit longer? It's not going to be easy, but it's worth it. Because as we become more like Jesus, as we become more like Jesus, we get to see the beauty of Jesus grow. His grace for us, and I love that in Apostle Paul in his writings, 
in his early years of his writings to churches, he's like, I'm a sinner. And towards the end of his life, he's like, I'm the, I'm the chief sinner. It's not because he realized his list of mistakes were longer. It's as he realized, as he drew closer to the grace of God, his, God's grace was becoming deeper and deeper. And for me, I, I want that to be my lifelong journey of following Jesus. I'm going to stumble. I'm going to fall. I'm going to make mistakes. But I know that I can continue coming back to the one that has called me. To who, has, who has given me the invitation. Might not be the smartest, the brightest, the most talented, most charismatic, but just come follow me. And through you, the world will see the gospel. I mean, it is through these disciples, these fishermen. I don't think they ever imagined in their life that we'll be talking about them today. I don't think they ever imagined that their faithfulness to follow Jesus would spread the word of the good news of Jesus all across the world. In churches here today, in the underground churches overseas, in the attics, in the, in the, in the, in the, in the cornfields and mazes, the gospel, we're still here talking about it. And so I don't know if our faithfulness to come follow him is going to resound in this way. But I think we need to make a decision. If he is truly who he says he is, am I willing to follow him? Am I willing to follow him? And I'm hoping that the next few weeks we'll journey through this together. And on Easter, uh, I'm just going to say it in faith. I haven't declared a date for this yet because I'm always afraid no one's going to do it. Uh, but on Easter, we're going to have a baptism. I'll have the baptism tank ready. I don't know if anyone wants to go in <laughs> or anyone's ready for it. But we're going to be ready. For anyone that decides, I want to follow Jesus. And that's what Alpha's about. That's what we're doing here as a church. Not to create another form of religion or a better religion, but to say, follow us as we follow Jesus.